Hello everyone, welcome to Large Group. Uh, it's good to see you. Um, it's good to hear your voices. Good to sing with you and to pray with you, to open God's Word with you. <clears throat> no matter where you are tonight, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, we're glad that you're here and we want you to feel welcome here. RUF, if this is your first time, stands for Reformed University Fellowship and it stands uh Fort Reformed University Fellowship, and to say it twice, apparently. Um, and we're one of the many campus ministries at Wofford trying to walk alongside you um, to help you grow in your faith during the, these formative years of college. And there are lots of campus ministries here, so if RUF uh, is not sticking for you, there's so many others. Um, Kirk meets, CO meets tomorrow night, Rev Ron, and his pastoral care and wisdom is always around, and um, would love to meet you with you as well. And um, so we want to be here uh, for you to serve you. Um, we are looking at the parables this fall, and we're continuing that study tonight. The parables were stories that Jesus told uh, during his life to frustrate us. And he did this on purpose, to frustrate us, to disorient us, and our categories about what we think about God and the gospel And tonight we're looking at two parables, actually, in which Jesus lets us in on what the kingdom of God is like. Um, The kingdom of God uh, often is is like the office, you uh, might be wondering. And um, if you think of those scenes, you know, uh, every single office episode, there's, there's at some point, Jim and Pam, whoever it is, they zoom in on the camera and they start talking to the camera to the viewer and they're letting viewers in on the ins and outs of life at Dunder Mifflin, what it lo- looks like to, to work there. And in, in, a same, in the same way, when the parables, but especially in the, these parables we're looking at tonight, Jesus is zooming in on us, and he's saying, I want to show you what the ins and outs are of the kingdom, uh, how it starts, how it grows, and how powerful it is. And so with that in mind, let's read the passage that's before you in the handout or if you brought a Bible. It's Mark 20 or Mark 4, 26 to 34. This is God's word, friends. He's spoken to us. He's not silent. He's spoken to us not to give us a book of rules to follow or a theology exam to master. He's spoken to you and to me because he loves us. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle, because the harvest has come. It's the first parable, here's the second. He said, with What can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, They were able to hear it, did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his disciples he explained everything. It's God's word. Let us go 
now to him in prayer that he might teach us. <clears throat> oh Lord, we do give thanks to you for your word. It's living and active, and we trust that that is true because you are living and active. Lord, we pray acknowledging that. We also pray humbly, and we acknowledge, like our first song admits, that our hearts are prone to wander. They're prone to wander and leave you, and we are distracted. So many things on our minds. This past weekend's on our mind. Classes tomorrow is on our minds. Hard conversations. Lord, our sin and shame and doubt plagues us. Lord, uh, you know us better than we know ourselves. And we ask that you would meet us right where we are in the particular uh, ins and outs of our sin and shame and confusion that we might hear you. Slow us down that we might see Jesus and find him beautiful. We ask this in his name. Amen. So Jesus uh, shows us two things about the kingdom, and, and the game plan is before you um, in the handout. First, the kingdom of God is small, and the kingdom of God is slow. Small and slow doesn't sound very exciting, does it? Um, Jesus is, is on a roll uh, talking about the kingdom and he is showing those around him what the kingdom is like by using these parables. And he tells a series of parables, and he gets really agricultural in a few of them. And the, these are great examples of the agricultural parables. He would describe the kingdom of God like a mustard seed, like a sower. And he's trying to say something. What is he trying to say? The first thing is that the kingdom of God has small, humble beginnings. It starts small. The kingdom is like a tiny mustard seed. Jesus brings up mustard seeds because they were small. And in Jesus' time and place, it's important we know this, because the parables, the images and allegories and the cultural artifacts of Jesus' day, we need to understand those to, like, why a mustard seed? And essentially, it was the Jewish catch-all term that people would use culturally in conversation to refer to something they were describing as small and seemingly insignificant. Not flashy, but he's telling us that the kingdom, not being loud and flashy, but it begins small and humbly. And it grows, and it grows, it starts underground. You can't see it. You might miss it. And it grows even while you're asleep. Did you notice that the first, the first parable that he, he sows, and then he goes to sleep, and God is at work. Because Jesus is, in fact, the gardener. Think of what happens when seeds fall in between cracks of pavement. You probably experienced this. Um, over time, when it takes root in the soil, it begins to make the concrete crack even more. And why is this happening? Because whatever is underneath the concrete and the pavement is powerful. And over time, we don't know how long, it will actually break the concrete. It will break the driveway and the pavement. The kingdom of God starts small, and that's where the power is. Humble beginnings which result in long-term growth and expansion. <clears throat> Raise your hand if you know who Bill Cartwright is. I knew Emmett would. Um, my MBA dude. Um, we're going to talk about the MBA for a second, okay? 
It's the greatest time of year. If you know me, I'm so excited. Cold weather in NBA is before us, and I'm pumped about it. Okay, Bill Cartwright, guys, was the center. He was a center. He actually didn't start for all these teams on the Chicago Bulls from 1998 to 1994. And so he was on Pippen and Jordan's first three championship teams with the Chicago Bulls. And his role on the team's success was quiet and reserved. He was a role player, and his contributions were not flashy. And especially when you compare him to Jordan and Pippen's sort of sports center highlights that were always on. And here's what B.J. Armstrong, who is a point guard who played on these teams, he was on a podcast with Colin Cowherd. Here's what he says about Bill Cartwright and what he did for the team and in his own life. I learned how to play in the NBA from Bill Cartwright. I learned how to dress. I learned how to eat. I learned how to sleep. I learned how to travel. I learned how to pack a bag. Uh, We referred to Bill as, quote, the teacher. Cowherd, the podcast guy, responds. He says, even Michael Jordan listened to him? Armstrong responds, absolutely. He was the teacher. Cartwright was the pulse of the team. He didn't say much. He had that raspy voice, but when he did speak, everyone listened. Cowherd says, well, what would he say to you? Armstrong goes on. He says, when I first came into the league, when I was a rookie, he'd say, look, young man, first of all, you've got to perform. He goes on to say, Cartwright mentored me. He would teach me how to get up and eat. He would teach me how to get ice for myself after the game and get ready for each game. He showed me how to travel. And at that time, this is interesting, at that time, we had to do our own laundry and wash our own uniforms, and Bill did all of those things for us. He would tell us to take two or three pairs of shoes in case we lost one or broke a pair of the soles in a game. He would show us and tell us to sign autographs for all of our fans when we would pass them to show respect for the fans. Here's the the crucial part. These were the little things he did for us for which I'm forever grateful because it taught me how to be a professional, to treat others well. He taught me how to be the person that I am today. So Cartwright's contribution to these teams and these championship rings was less public, it was less flashy. Uh, it wasn't on Sports Center, but his daily faithfulness changed people. It changed the culture and the ethos of a team that was trying to believe in something bigger than themselves and their egos. And he modeled for them self-sacrificing love in, uh, day in and day out, and it changed people. The kingdom is humble, it's unnoticed. Probably not on Sports Center. Um, it's ordinary and it's small. Here's the deal, guys. We don't like small. We don't like small. <clears throat> My older brother lived in Amarillo, Texas for a number of years. And if I know anything about Texans, um, and I, I don't necessarily mean this as an insult, but they're enamored and obsessed with big. Texans love big. And it's one of my friends who always says, Americans, us in the West, were closet Texans because we are so enamored with big and flashy. And our ideal kingdom is big and loud and flashy. Small faithfulness uh, now actually will give long-term effects, though. It, the, the starting small is actually how Jesus starts this long-time work. 
And so the kingdom is the small act that no one will see and no one will praise you for of forgiving your roommate who hurt your feelings for the 35th time this semester who still won't listen and always uh, seems to never give up their time but demand your time. The kingdom is the small act of showing patience to someone who constantly gives gets under your skin and you try to avoid making eye contact with them. It's listening to them. No one will notice this. The kingdom is surrounding yourself with Christian community to help you follow Jesus and actually to invite people to speak into your life and to say hard things when you want to do your own thing. This is the small kingdom work. It's befriending the outcast and addict and the prodigal sons that you just can't even with, right? The kingdom is the small faithful commitment to saying no to whatever you need to say no to. This could be the next appointment because if you meet with one more person or commit to that next thing to build your resume you will burn out it's saying no and showing restraint with alcohol on the weekends and with your girlfriend or boyfriend it's saying that no one will see this y'all small humble kingdom growth it starts it starts here and here's what's profound about this these small kingdom acts of love now they will grow they'll grow in you So if you forgive your roommate for hurting you now, it will make you a forgiving person when your husband or wife hurts you. Not if, but when. Because marriage is rooted in forgiveness. And you can start now. If you make forgiveness your MO now, then you will forgive your spouse and your children. It'll be your muscle, it'll just be the muscle memory thing of your heart to forgive because you've been doing it since you were 19. When you commit to walking and committing yourself to Christian friendships, even when you don't want to, you'll be someone in your 30s and 40s when the local church gets on your nerves, you won't bail on them because you've committed to them. Why? You started it in college. You started it now. When you befriend outcasts now, you'll get in the habit of it in decades from now. The norm for your children is for like random awkward people to be in your kitchen. Like, who's coming over for dinner tonight? Why did your parents do this? I don't know. They've just always done it. It can start now, right? These small acts can grow in you. It will grow in you. It starts small. Small faithful acts of love won't make your resume look better for the internship, though. That's the challenge. People might not see it. Can't advertise it on social media necessarily. Um... Some people do, but but God produces extraordinary things out of humble beginnings, as my friend says. God produces extraordinary things out of humble beginnings. So it's small, it's also slow. The kingdom is slow. Jesus wants us to know that. Um, how do plants and trees grow? Um, not in our timing. Um, over a long period of time, um, if you've ever planted anything, you know that. And one of my friends uh, planted an herb garden, and they had kale and thyme and basil, and it was fantastic. And they used all these herbs in their meals and their salads, and um, they made smoothies with it. And uh, all these things it was so exciting. And they, he was like so pumped up about this because his wife really wanted an herb garden. 
he plants uh, this herb garden, like all these, you know, all the basil, all the kale, etc. He plants it, and then like a month later, like it is just flourishing, like just growing. They can't even keep up with it. Why did it grow that fast? <clears throat> Here's what's funny about that. Because he planted fully grown plants. <laughs> he planted fully grown plants because he didn't want to waste time. He, didn't, he knew that the seeds, he's not going to waste his time with seeds because he can't control the growth. He wanted thyme and basil like tomorrow. That's what he wants. And so that's what he did. And if we're honest, that's actually kind of our heart posture when it comes to growth in the kingdom, kind of in the world and even in our own hearts. We want it instantaneously. Instant gratification is where we woke up this morning. We want it to be overnight, but Jesus is telling us that growth has to be on his terms and the growth is slow and it's steady. And he's the one doing it. He's the gardener. One kernel of corn planted in the ground can produce approximately 1,800 kernels. Watermelon seeds can produce a piece of fruit that's approximately 200,000 times its weight. A couple more, an acorn can produce an oak. You can see this. Mustard seed, tiny little light yellow seed. This is actually one to two millimeters and produces a mustard tree that can grow up to 25 feet. And so how, does, how long does this take? A long time. A long time. God's good timing for growing his kingdom happens on his terms and happens slowly and over a long period of time. One of the things that we'll say in RUF a lot, we'll use this word a couple of times. I'm going to get teachy for a second. It's sanctification. Sanctification is this life that essentially means, to sanctify just means change. It's this lifelong process. From the first day you become a Christian and Jesus is Lord to you and you become like a child and you trust him, that he's died for your sins, etc. And until you die and go home with Jesus. That in-between time is the lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. And it isn't anything but overnight. Slow. That's God's pace. And he's not worried about it because he's the gardener. He's got a plan. It's very particular. And it's very, uh, it's going somewhere in a particular direction. But we want instantaneous growth where that requires no patience. We want change now. And oftentimes, to be honest, uh, you know, we live in a fallen world that is just difficult, where we suffer. And there's death and cancer and sickness and people hurt us. We sin against others. We're sinned against. And we want the world to change now. And it's a testament that we actually, we live in a broken world and we want it to change now. But patience is hard. Patience is challenging. And so this is what we see, y'all, when we go to Barnes & Noble in the Christian living section. That's why almost probably eight out of ten books will say, I'm exaggerating on purpose, you know, uh, the ten next steps to become X. Now, the, I'm sure there's like all kinds of great things in those books, but it's a testament. Like we want efficiency. Give me the game plan and steps so I can map it out on New, New Year's resolution so I can quantify the growth. We want a game plan. We want to control the change. We don't want, we don't want to let Jesus control it. That's uncomfortable. We love shortcuts. And I love shortcuts as well. And 
we want to get rid of our loneliness because it sucks. And so we take the shortcut either by dating someone and try to mimic marriage so closely that it, uh, that it solves our loneliness problem. Or we just throw in the towel and we just give in to pornography and that becomes the norm. It's the shortcut for intimacy. We're so sick of being stressed out and overwhelmed. And rather than the slow hard work of trusting Jesus, even in anxiety, there's the shortcut of self-medication. And there are all kinds of options. I'm just going to do my own thing here and take matters into my own hands. I'm going to take a shortcut. I can be in control of the timing here. Oftentimes I think, and I agree with this, one of my friends says that we often associate this slow pace with weakness because we like the big and the fast and the easily quantifiable and the upwardly mobile. And so this slow stuff, like, it's weak. But if, you, if we've seen anything so far in this, these two parables, it, the, their power in the small, because what, who's the gardener? It's Jesus. The power is in the gardener. But it requires patience, and if you've grown anything, you know this. If you've grown a garden with your parents or your grandparents, etc., you know that it takes time. There's a band, First Aid Kick, uh, Aid Kit, not Kick, First Aid Kit, and they have a song, and I love this line. It says, I know that things just don't grow if you don't bless them with your patience. I know that things just don't grow if you don't bless them with your patience. And we're worn out. Some of you are worn out. Like, when is Thanksgiving going to be here, right? We're worn out. And you might be here tonight, and you basically feel like all the semester long has just been sin and sadness and loneliness. And it is November, and you feel like no one, still no one knows you. You don't have your group. You don't feel like you belong. Wofford uses this intimate, homey language of the why Wofford question, you tell me why you came here, and it doesn't feel like home yet. This might be you. Others, we have bought into our GPA and our resume building defines us, and it's, bad, it's been a bad year so far, and we're worn out. I want to encourage you, and just, I, I hope you can hear this, because I see it in you, that Jesus is working in you. I, I I'm an acorn, and I see it as you tell me about how you're trying to forgive people. Your roommate or your parents that really ran away from you when you really needed them. And you're forgiving them. Jesus is at work in you, and he's growing the fruit of his own spirit right before my eyes, even when it feels like nothing is happening with you. Jesus' mission isn't going, isn't just to bring the kingdom to your life. It's also cosmic. It's cosmic in scope. He wants us to know this because his plan has always been to redeem all of creation from sin, to rid all the world from sin. That's always been his mission. But his kingdom doesn't grow like the world. And this would frustrate people because it has humble, small beginnings. And then there's this long, messy process of him doing this gardening work on us and on his world. And y'all, we don't understand what Jesus meant with this agricultural image and this garden language, but his Hebrew listeners would have. And here's what they would have thought. 
he starts using agricultural imagery, where would their minds have gone? Genesis, the beginning of the story. Guys, the story of the Bible begins in a garden and it ends in a garden. And it shows that he's the gardener making all things new even when we're asleep. Even when we're asleep. Jesus, the gardener, renews the earth and the garden is restored. It's cosmic in scope. Listen to this from Daniel 4. Just think of this, this cosmic garden, as it were, that Jesus is, like, as we speak, uh, doing work on. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole world. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and there was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Jesus is going to do that on his terms and his timing, but he's going to. He's made promises to do that in the world and in your heart. The only hope for a broken world is if Jesus keeps his word here. Um, And it's unexpected, and it's so frustrating at times as we suffer and with tears in our eyes, but we do this. We labor daily and faithfully knowing he's going to wipe away the tears. This is what he's promised. One pastor puts it this way, when a tiny little baby is born in a manger to a teenage girl in a stable in the backwoods town of Bethlehem, and the welcoming party consists of lowly shepherds, and you're tempted to think nothing powerful can come from this, think again. Um, he knows where he's going. He's the gardener, and he's doing it as we speak. And as you follow him daily, again, even as you suffer in your confusion and your shame, um, keep your eyes on the gardener. Um, And don't take your eyes off. This is where he's taking us, and that's good news. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do give thanks.